Good morning. I'm Margie Boswell. I'm reading from Psalm 145, verses 10 through 16. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand you satisfy the desire of every living thing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. My name's Joey. If we've never met, would love for you to come up and say hi after, uh, after we're done here so that I can get a chance to, to meet you and learn your name. Um, like I said, I'm Joey. My wife, Jenna, was up here singing, and when she and I first got married, um, she was a morning person, and I was a night person. I was used to staying up late to get homework done or staying up all night to finish reading a book that was due the next day that I hadn't started yet. Uh, she turns into a pumpkin at nine and then never hit the snooze button in the morning. Well, we've been married 12 years now, and things have changed. I like getting up early to get work done before anyone else wakes up, and she can hit the snooze button over and over and over again. I like to think that I've had some influence on her in that area. I've, I've you know, I've been a, a more or less a, a good influence, or, or not. It's kind of curious, I guess, how the more time you spend with somebody, the more they tend to sort of rub off on you. You know, you, your actions and your thoughts and your attitudes and your behavior starts to become more like the person you spend time with. And sometimes it's, it's bad when it comes to getting up in the morning. Sometimes it's good. Uh, before our daughter went to school and had recess every day, she would never climb things. She would never jump off of anything without holding someone's hand. She was just really scared of it all. And then she saw all of her friends jumping off of really high things, and she wanted to be included. So she finally learned how to climb and jump and stuff like that. It's a good thing sometimes. That our actions, our attitudes, our beliefs, our behaviors, our attitudes can be molded and, and shaped by the people, by the things we spend the most time with, the things that have the most influence on us. Uh, for you, that might be coworkers or friends, uh, spouses or classmates. Whoever it is, they're molding you, they're changing you, and a little bit of you or a little bit of them starts to be reflected in you and vice versa. Now, what does that have to do with this week's topic? Well, hold on and we'll get there. We're spending four weeks uh, talking about just one aspect of God's character, God's goodness. Four weeks talking about God's goodness. In the first week uh, of this just short exploration of this, this topic, we talked about God's essential goodness. And by essential, uh, we mean that God's goodness is just as necessary a part of who he is as his sovereignty, as his his wisdom, as his holiness. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is all-good. His goodness is essential to who he is. 
Last week, Pastor Tom explored the idea that because God's goodness is essential to his nature, then everything he does is good. And it's not just that he always chooses to do good, it's that he can't do wrong, he can't do evil, he can't sin. All of his actions are good, and all the things that he allows to happen, he will use in some way for good which has been kind of necessary for me to hear with just the constant barrage of the news cycle the last couple of weeks of tragedies that have hit the states and around the world. The pointlessness of all of it sometimes makes me ask, God, are you really good? And so I need to be able to come back and say, yes, I know he is good. Even if I don't understand it, even if I can't explain it, even if I can't think of a good reason for why he would let something happen, it doesn't mean he doesn't have one. I know him, I know he's good. I know that he'll use whatever this is. So God's essential goodness, all of God's acts are good. And this week, I'm going to ask in the next sort of logical question in this flow, which is, okay, if God's good and everything he does is good, how do I respond to that? How am I supposed to respond to God's goodness? How am I being called to respond to God's goodness? How does his goodness change me? How do I begin to reflect a little bit of his goodness back? Now, as with every other week in this short series, we've been centering our contemplation of God's goodness in Psalm 145. So uh, turn there if you haven't already, Psalm 145. If you need a Bible, that black Bible underneath the chair in front of you, it's on page 621. Um, Or if English isn't your first language, we've got a bunch of uh, other languages, scripture and other languages in the back there by the guy with the camera. Jared, you can wave and everybody knows where it is. Back there and Jared can help you out. Uh, if you want to follow along in a different language. But Psalm 145, as we've said, is King David's kind of last great uh, psalm that, he, that, that is recorded in the Psalms. It's his praise to God's goodness. And he's, in the process of this psalm, he's reflecting on who God is, what he's done. If we just skim through the first nine verses or so that we've already covered in the last two weeks, uh, David describes God as having greatness that is unsearchable. Acts that are mighty, splendor that is glorious, works that are wondrous, uh, deeds that are awesome, goodness that is abundant. He says God is righteous, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. In short, that he is good to all. He's good to everyone. So in the first nine verses or so, King David is reflecting on God's goodness, his faithfulness, his love for his covenant people to the the people he's chosen to be his own. And that reflection on who God is, what he's done for his covenant people, uh, makes the psalm kind of take a turn into verse 10, uh, where he talks about the response. Okay, if this is who God is, then, then what happens? How do we respond to that? So let's start at verse 10. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Five different verbs in three verses. Five different verbs, five different action words, uh, each describing a different kind of response to God's goodness. Give thanks, bless, speak of, tell of, make known. Five words we're going to kind of go through these just a little bit one at a time and and explore how they illustrate for us what it looks like to respond to God's goodness. Uh, The first one is give thanks, or you might have a translation that says give praise or praise. 
Uh, it says, all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. All your works shall praise you. All the things that you have done will praise you. Now, because it's talking about God's actions, all the things that God does will then praise. It's, it's metaphorical. It's, it's saying that everything God does illustrates who he is, shows who he is. Like an artist leaves kind of an imprint of themselves in their work. I don't mean that they just sign their signature at the bottom, uh, but that the way they use a brush for a painter or uh, the way a writer will, will turn a phrase or the way a, a, a musician has a kind of a certain timbre to their, uh, their performance. Each of those things, if you know the artist, then you know their work. You can recognize it. Last weekend, I was in an Uber with uh, my wife and with Jacob and, and Becca Hash. Becca's our director of, of student ministry. And we were riding along, and it was one of those good Uber rides where the driver's not talking too much, but the radio's on. And this, uh, this song comes on, and Jenna says, is this a Justin Bieber song? I was like, I have no idea. I don't, I don't know. I'm not hip to the times or anything like that. Um, so she asked, is this a Justin Bieber song? And I was kind of quiet. And then in the back seat, Jacob goes, no, this isn't a Justin Bieber song course not. It doesn't sound like him at all. It's in the wrong key for him. That's not what his voice sounds like. And, and he, he has like five reasons why it's not a Justin Bieber song. Now, if you do not have the ability to just recognize Bieber's music, that's a good thing. <laughs> so feel free to give Jacob a hard time about it. He knew the mark of the artist. He could tell whether or not this song belonged to that particular artist just within a few quick seconds because he knew the artist's work. And this is kind of what King David is getting at here, though, with an artist considerably more talented. He's, he's saying uh, all of God's works illustrate who he is. Everything that God does kind of has the imprint on it where you can look at it and say, you know, that's not, that's not a knockoff. That's not an imitation. That's, that's, that's God who did that. You can see the work, the, the characteristic, the, the kind of style of the artist in God's works. The second half of that verse, all your saints shall bless you, is kind of the flip side of this. So you've got the, the, the work, the action itself that points to God. We also have the saints, the people who observe it, then showing like, hey, this, this is God who's done it. Um, the word bless kind of carries this idea of, of pointing out that this is the one, this is the, the guy, this is God who has this ability to make this thing happen, whatever this thing is that's happening in your life. You know, when, you, when something happens and you're like, that, that could have only been God. Now, I'm personally kind of cynical, so I, I always, when somebody says, this such and such happened, that could have only been God. I think, really? It couldn't have just been a coincidence? It couldn't have been something else? But those who know him can see his hand and can point out that, that, that no, this, this is God. This has got his mark all over it. This is his style. This is, this is how he works. They can kind of hear when it's God and not something else. My grandfather, his whole life, uh, was a farm manager. He lived in central Iowa, lived in Des Moines. And uh, we would drive into town every, uh, into town, into Des Moines every uh, weekend to see him. And we would always find him in the same spot, in his chair, in front of the TV, watching RFD TV, the rural free delivery TV service. Uh, there was always a cattle auction or a, um, a tractor parade or something like that on, which he loved. But in the evenings, he never missed the opportunity to switch over to the Lawrence Welk show. 
um, which then we would watch with him. And he had an uncanny ear. I, I still don't understand it, but he could tell just by listening, eyes closed, whether or not the performer was playing an accordion or a concertina. I have no idea the difference between those two instruments. They're just both handheld blower, some, I don't know. I don't know how they work. Uh, but he could do it. He could tell you, who, like, the manufacturer of the various instruments just by listening. He would play tapes for us and say, well, which, which one do you think that is? Do you think that's an accordion or a concertina? I'm like, I don't know. Of course it's a concertina. Only a concertina can make a note like that. I'm like, Grandpa, I still don't hear it. Uh, but he loved it, and he was really trying to kind of share that with us. Um, I was not cool enough for Lawrence Welk, I think, when I was 10 or 12. So that was, that was the problem, at least on, on my part. But he, he, had, he had the ear. He could just, just tell and point out, like, no, 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 that's definitely this. It's got the fingerprints all over it. He could tell when a particular artist was playing just by listening to it. He was in tune with it. He, he's like what King David is saying here. The, the saints will bless you. They will point out, look, it's God who's doing this. It's not something else. It's not someone else. It's not an imitation. It's certainly not an accordion. This is God who's doing this. And they could point it out. They'd been trained. They'd spent enough time with the instrument to be able to know. The saints had spent enough time with God to know when it was him who was doing something. Now, in these three verses, like I said, there are five different verbs, uh, giving thanks and blessing the first two. The next three are kind of a variation on the same theme in 11 and 12. They, meaning both the actions and the saints, uh, they will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will make known. They will tell of your power. Uh, they're, they're words, obviously, that means using your voice to communicate some truth about who God is, about what God has done. So if we look at these three verses and think, well, okay, this is, this is a response to God's goodness. This is the way King David is responding to God's goodness. We look at this for ourselves and think, well, maybe there's, there's something uh, instructive in here about how I should respond to God's goodness. And we do that sometimes when, you know, when we do things like we did this morning, when we get together and we sing. We read scripture and we, we tell of God's goodness through song. But I think there's more to it than just speaking than just using our voices to talk about God. Now, that's what comes through most clearly here, mostly because it's in the context of a song. But there's actually three levels at which we reflect God's goodness, at which we, we respond to what God has done for us and who he is. There's the level of what we say, but also, of course, what we do and who we are. I'm going to walk through those three, what we say, what we do, and who we are, and then bring us back into Psalm 145, uh, especially to verse 10 here in, in a minute, to show you how uh, who we are is evidenced in this, this text. We're supposed to reflect God's goodness. We're supposed to respond to God's goodness, kind of live it out, if you will, in what we say, what we do, and who we are. And if you are anything like me... Uh, you read something like this passage and, and think of what, how people respond to God's goodness and think, I'm not, maybe not doing that so much. We're not responding it to God's goodness as, as well as King David illustrates here. Now, obviously, it's easy enough for me to uh, stand up here and, and talk about God's goodness, 
It's what you expect me to do. It's why I'm up here. It's when I'm down there, when I'm out, when I'm not, you know, pastor, preacher, hired holy man up here, and I'm, I'm out there and I'm just Joey, that's when it, it seems harder for me. It seems harder for me to reflect God's goodness in the way he's calling me to, to respond to his goodness in the way that's illustrated here. I don't know why. It, it, it's, sometimes it just feels awkward, like now's not really the time to bring it up, or like I'm going to be imposing my views on someone else, or that I'm uh, um, going to be sort of awkwardly inserting myself in. You know, you've all kind of had the conversation where um, you're talking with somebody about something fairly innocuous, and all, all of a sudden they're like, well, and speaking of Jesus, and, and start sharing the gospel with you or something like that. And it's just, it, it's always awkward and it feels a little weird to me. And, and I, I know it shouldn't because I'm a pastor, but I'm still sometimes not that good at it. And the thing that, that gets me is that I never have a problem telling people about some other good thing that I've recently discovered. Like, have you binge watched all of season two of Stranger Things? What? Yes, see, it's amazing. And I have no problem going up to people on the street and be like, have you seen that yet? You know, or, or whatever. Well, not really people on the street, but you know what I mean. And, and good things that we've discovered that we find to be helpful for us right in the moment. We're like, man, that show is incredible. Or you got to check out this, uh, this new podcast episode I just found from this particular series. Or I just found the best Cliff's Notes version of that dumb book we have to read for English class. You need this. Right? Or, hey, you know that diet and exercise plan that worked for me? You should give that a try. Or maybe not, that one. <laughs> there were like two groans, like, oh, no. I don't actually say that to people, just, just FYI. <laughs> but it's funny, isn't it, how we don't really hesitate or, or feel any sort of sense of shame or impropriety or like we're inserting ourselves into something when we go up to someone and we share something amazing we've just discovered or something great or something good that we want them to know about. And yet, at least for me, it, it's still hard for me to, to talk about who God is, what he's done for me. And I know it shouldn't be, but at least for me, sometimes it is. Now, I'm saying all of that not to try to make us feel guilty. Not to try to make myself feel guilty. That's, that's not the point. I'm not trying to guilt us into, you know, keeping a running tally of how many times did I talk about Jesus and how many times did I talk about my Black Friday deals that I found. It's not a, it's not a comparison game. I'm, I'm saying all this to illustrate the fact that we, we naturally and consistently reflect most the things we most reflect on. The things we spend the most time on or the things we spend the most time with are the things we will naturally, they'll kind of bounce off of us naturally to other people. We reflect most what we most reflect on. Or to put it in a, in a big idea kind of formula for, for this sermon, the more we reflect on God's goodness the more we'll reflect God's goodness. The more we reflect on God's goodness, the more we'll reflect 
God's goodness. This is essentially what King David is doing in the writing of this psalm, reflecting on God's goodness, his covenant faithfulness to the people of Israel, the people he's in charge of leading, and saying, look, in light of all of that, look how good God is. Let me reflect it to someone else. Let me take the goodness of God that I've experienced and let it reflect off of me in my actions, in my, in my words, in who I am to other people. The more we reflect on God's goodness, the more we'll reflect God's goodness. And we'll do it at those three levels of character that I mentioned. Let's, we'll dig into these briefly. The first, the most superficial, is what we say. Right? We know that Talk is cheap. Words are the most superficial. Even when sometimes like words are the hardest part, like, like I was saying earlier, talking about what God has done is, is sometimes difficult in different contexts. This is still um, the easiest part of reflecting who God is to other people. And just because I'm up here talking about it doesn't mean I have it figured out. I just want to put that out there. Just because I'm the one up here Talking through this passage doesn't mean I've figured out how to reflect God's goodness well. Uh, I know, I'm aware of the fact that most of my life is uh, what I am trying to catch up with what I say I am. That's where most of us uh, live our lives. Um, But talk, talk is easy. Have you noticed the phenomenon of like the eight-year-old kids wandering around in these Nike t-shirts that say stuff like... um, Um, I wrote some of these down, mad air, don't care, or beast mode all the time, right? My game is so sick, too bad it's not contagious. And you're like, you're three feet tall. And you're playing peewee t-ball, like what about that screams beast mode all the time? Right? Talk, talk is easy. You can wear the t-shirt, but just because you wear the t-shirt, it doesn't mean you automatically go into beast mode every time you pick up a baseball bat. Talk is easy. Just because we buy the t-shirt doesn't mean we've got the skills, and just because I talk about God doesn't mean I know God. And yet, if I know God, then I'll talk about him. If I know him, and I know who he is, and I know what he's done for me, then I'll talk about him. I'll talk about who he is. I'll talk about what he's done for me. That's the level of words, what we say. Now, what we do, of course, is the next level down. Talk is cheap. Actions mean something. I can say I want to kind of take it easy this year, Thanksgiving and Christmas, sort of stay on my diet plan, not add, uh, not add too much weight over the next month. And yet, when I go back to the serving table for my fifth round of mashed potatoes and gravy, I mean, it's obvious that my actions are pointing towards something I want more than what I say, right? I say I want to be healthy, and my actions say, not today. <laughs> today I want turkey. See, our actions, of course, our, our, our words, of course, are easy. Our actions are more difficult. Our actions uh, illustrate what we really think. And you can see the parallel, I hope, between Thanksgiving dinner and how we reflect God's goodness. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to actually do it. It's, it's another thing for our actions to line up with our words, for our actions to be good in the way 
God is good, at least to the extent that we can. Now, I want to make something clear. God is not saying, and I'm not saying, if you really want to reflect God's goodness, make a list, try harder, work harder at it. God's not saying, and I'm not saying, that, that he is like a teacher who's going to grade you on how well you measure up to his standard of success, of what it means to get an A in reflecting God's goodness. That is not the point. If, if we stop at the level of actions and we say, okay, my words need to line up and my actions need to line up, I just need to try harder at it, we're going to get ourselves into a rut of constant failure, a rut of constantly feeling like I just don't measure up. Or we're going to start comparing ourselves to, to kind of less and less successful people in order to feel better about ourselves. Like, well, I'm not that bad. Have you looked at so-and-so sitting down the road? Sitting down the row from you? Don't point to someone right now. That's not a good idea. I might not be that bad, especially when you compare me to that whole class of people that is obviously lower than I am. God is not telling us, make a list. He's saying, get to know me. Not me, God. The more you reflect on God's goodness, the more you'll reflect his goodness. We will only be able to reflect his goodness to the extent which we have meditated on who he is and what he has done for us. To the extent to which that, that truth of who God is and what he's done for me, however much that burrows itself down into your soul and into your heart, that's how much you'll reflect his goodness. We sang earlier, he's captivated with his love. He's captured my heart with his love. If, if your heart has not been captured by him, if who you are has not been captured by who he is and what he's done, and then it doesn't matter how long your list is. You'll never live up to it. And this is what's key. This is where taking it down to the very bottom level of, of who we are, this is where we actually find true transformation. Because we can, we can force ourselves to say the right things, to even do the right things, and even do the right things when no one's, no one's watching. But if we're saying all the right things and doing all the right things just to, to measure up so that God will accept us or God will love us or other people won't judge us or something like that, we're still doing it for the wrong reasons. We're doing it for selfish, self-serving reasons. I need to be good for me so that I can feel better about myself, not, feel, not do better because of God and who he is and what he's done. Now, let's, let's turn back to uh, verse 10 here. I, I want to point out something that uh, I discovered this week that um, really influenced the way I was thinking about this passage. Verse 10 says, All your works, all the things you have made, all the things you've done, shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Now, the word saints there is, is really interesting. In most languages, uh, the word for saint comes from a word that means holy. Or set apart. So saints are the holy ones, the, the set apart ones. In Greek, uh, hagios, holy, becomes hagioi, the holy ones, the saints. In, uh, in Hebrew, uh, kadosh, holy, becomes the kadoshim, the holy ones. Uh, but kadoshim, the saints, is, is not the word that's 
behind saints here in Psalm 145. It's a different word. It's a word that only shows up about 30 times in the Hebrew scriptures. It's the word chasid, which some of you have done enough Hebrew word studies that you're like, that sounds familiar. It's the same root as the word chesed, God's faithful, loving kindness. Uh, what, what my daughter's storybook Bible um, translates is God's uh, is never ending, never giving up, never failing, always and forever love. His, his chosen, self-chosen, faithful love for his people. Uh, the word saints here is not the holy ones, as, you know, meaning a class, a group of people who are together trying to follow God. It means the loving ones. The ones whose lives are characterized by God's own faithful, loving kindness. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. All those whose, whose very lives, their being is formed by an understanding of and a recognition of God's own loving kindness in their lives. The saints are the ones who have been impacted by God's love and are now reflecting it back out. They're the ones, as we sang, whose hearts have been captured by his love and now reflect that love back out, that reflect his goodness. This is what gets us all the way down to the bottom level, which is where actual transformation happens. Uh, at, at the very root level of who we are, at, you know, what we desire, uh, once we can take uh, take our, our affections, our heart's desires off of things that will never satisfy and put them onto God who, who will satisfy, then it, it, it sort of trickles back up. It bubbles back up into our actions and up into our words. You can try to, you can try to tackle your words and tackle your actions and force change down, but it's never permanent. It never sticks. It's only when change comes from the inside by being captured by God's love, by God's goodness, by who he is and what he's done for us, that then transformation works its way back up. The reason David could write a psalm like this is not because he had a formula for how to write a praise psalm that God will accept into his book. It was a deep reflection on who God is and what he's done that comes back up, that comes through his actions and his words. And it's only then that we'll be able to not just seem good, but to actually be good. Not just seem to reflect God's goodness, but to actually reflect his goodness. I am not, anyone who has played with me knows, the world's greatest basketball player, or even close, or even really something you could call a basketball player. Um, in high school, my youth pastor said I was the secret weapon. I was keeping all of my skills under wraps where no one would find them. For some reason, and I still don't know why, I decided to try out for basketball in eighth grade. And by try out, I mean that euphemistically because they didn't cut anyone. No one didn't make the team. It just depended on what team they placed you on. So in eighth grade, I ended up on the seventh grade C team. <laughs> I just want you to know that the first service went, oh. And you guys are like, ha, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Seventh grade C team, it was um, embarrassing to say the least. We were so bad. We were so bad. We never got 50 pointed. 
No team ever scored more, 50 points or more than we did. 49 once, uh, but never 50. And I want you to know, I did manage to score half of the points our team scored that entire season. I scored four. <laughs> and two other guys each scored two. We were so bad, we couldn't even do the three, two, one, go Mustangs, cheer. Like, it, it, I remember once it just sort of fell apart and we walked out onto the, onto the court. Uh, it, was, it was bad, but you know, the, the teams we were playing against, we were basically just cannon fodder for the other seventh grade B teams that in the schools around us. Like, you know what, let's put the subs in. They need playing time. They can go wipe the floor with these guys, score their 50 points, and feel like they had a great season. Uh, but they weren't actually all that good. I mean, compared to us, of course, they were phenomenal. They scored 49 points more than we did in a 49-0 game. I mean, they were, they were great compared to us, but none of them went on to play college ball. None of them went on to really excel. None of them, when you compare them to a, a good basketball player, could be considered good. Now, my, my, my moral goodness, the, the extent to which I reflect God's God's own goodness, man, I'm great when you compare me to Mussolini. But when you compare me to Pastor Tom, uh, Chet Wood, Tom Waltz, uh, these, these people who, who have walked with God for decades, who have spent, uh, spent their years reflecting on who God is and, and letting that change them so they then turn and reflect it to others. I mean, when you compare me to, to them, I, I've got a long ways to go. Now, they wouldn't want me to use their names. They told me not to. Um, and the point is not for me to compare myself to them. Because uh, if I want to feel better about myself, I'll just compare myself to some of you guys, like Sam, right? <laughs> and say, yeah, I'm doing a great job. The, the comparison is not the point. Unless you can get a laugh out of it, and then it's, then it's fun. Comparison is not the point. Uh, inspiration is the point. When I look at Tom, or I look at Chet, or I look at Tom Waltz, and I just think, I want to know God the way they do. Not, notice what I said, I didn't say, I want to act like they do. I want to look as good as they do. I want people to think I'm as good as they are. The key is to look at them and say, I want to know God like they do. If I know God the way some of my heroes do, then there's a chance I may someday, someday, if I keep reflecting on who God is and what he's done for me, someday I may reflect God the same way they do. But I'm looking, I may be looking at Pastor Tom, but I'm looking through Pastor Tom. I'm looking past him so that I can see Jesus. Who's, who's the one that Tom knows and reflects back to me? The more you reflect on God's goodness, the more you'll reflect his goodness. And his goodness to us, his faithful love, his loving kindness to us is no clearer, it's no brighter, it's no more attractive than when we look at Jesus on the cross. You know, God sending his own son to come and take on human flesh to die in our place is something that King David could only anticipate. He could only look ahead to when God would, verse 13, step out of his everlasting kingdom and into this temporary one 
to pull us out of this temporary life that we live into his eternal kingdom, his dominion that endures through all generations. David didn't know that one day his descendant, uh, that Jesus Christ would live and die so that we could finally and completely have fulfilled for us the words that David wrote. Verse 14, the Lord upholds all who are falling. Not just temporarily until we fall again, but finally, eternally, completely in Jesus. He raises up all who are bowed down under the weight of sin and under our own self-righteousness. The eyes of all would look to him and he would give us our food in due season. God, you open your hand and satisfy once and for all the desire of every living thing. The person of Jesus on the cross, God himself willingly sacrificing himself on our behalf, God's goodness comes through no clearer than there. But his death is it's more than just an example. It's more than just an example or a picture of God's goodness. It is God's goodness in complete form. Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf is God's final and ultimate good act on our behalf. And the extent to which we can reflect on that fact, we can bring it into ourselves and let it sink into who we are, is the extent to which we will then reflect the goodness of God back to those around us. So our call, our application of this message of this passage of Psalm 145 is we have got to do whatever it takes to reflect on who God is. I didn't say we've got to do whatever it takes to reflect God. We have to do whatever it takes to reflect on God, to get to know him. Have you ever tried or have you ever watched a a six-year-old trying to eat a meal and watch TV at the same time? Yeah, it doesn't work, right? They get stuck, like halfway up. The fork's like right here, and their mouth's open, and their eyes are glazed over, and the fork's slowly turning, and things are sliding off it onto the carpet. Right? They get, they get stuck because there's, there's a thing they know they need to do, eat, but there's, there's this bright thing that's shiny and with moving pictures, and it's distracting, and it's keeping me from doing the thing that I know I need to do because that thing is, that, that big distraction box is on. And so a good parent, of course, is going to come in and turn off the TV. Or if you're not a great parent like me, you're like, take another bite. (laughs) Finish the bite. Get that fork into your mouth. Right? There's so much. There's so much just on all the time. Bills that need to be paid. Kids that need to be run places. Homework that needs to be done. A test you've got to study for. A boss you need to figure out how to make happy. A spouse that needs attention, a doctor's appointment that you need to schedule, a teacher you got to talk to, or you need to call your parents and catch up, or Thanksgiving is this week, and oh no, it's 36 days until Christmas, and when am I going to get my shopping done, and Black Friday's coming up, and i got to figure out how much money I have, and I need to mow the yard one more time and fix the leak in the basement, and just stop staring at the big shiny box. I think God's call to us to reflect on him, it's kind of like a a gift that's just sitting there waiting for us 
right in front of us. And in the meantime, at least for me, I'm staring at the big shiny screen in front of me. All that stuff that's good and it needs attention, but all of that stuff that's just distracting right there, keeping me from focusing on who he is. I've been looking at Advent devotionals over the last week or two, different ones you can buy online, and almost every single one says the same thing. The holidays are stressful, but they don't have to be. If you would just focus on God. And it sounds a little trite because they all say it, but it's true. Now, we're moving into this season of Advent, and we're moving into a time in which, for one reason or another, as we anticipate God's coming, it becomes really hard to reflect on God. Uh, we anticipate, the, you know, we remember the first coming of Christ, and we anticipate his, his return in his second coming in the season of Advent. And, and while that's the reason for which we have the season of Advent, um, I get distracted by everything else, by the meals and the gifts and all this other stuff that has to happen, and I forget, oh yeah, there's you know, a God who died for me that I should spend the season thinking about and reflecting on. So I guess our challenge, or at least my challenge for the next five weeks, is to try to figure out how to get into the habit of turning off the big distraction box. All that stuff that needs attention it deserves some of my time, but not all of my time. If, if I'm going to respond to God's goodness in the way he's calling me to, the one thing I have to do is reflect on who he is. Reflect on God's goodness. Look at who God is. Look at what he's done for me in Christ. Uh, be able to say, like verses 4 through 9 say here, that, that, that his acts are mighty, that, that his majesty is glorious and spiritual. Splendorous. I don't even know if that's a word. That his works are wondrous. Because it's only the extent to which I reflect on God's goodness that I'll reflect his goodness. So I don't know what you need to do this month, but I know what I need to do. The one thing I need to actually try harder at is to spend some time just looking at God, reflecting on him so that I can reflect him the way he's called me to. Father, you've given us a picture of your goodness, not just in Psalm 145, but most clearly and supremely and magnificently in the person of Jesus. The person and work of Jesus, the Christ our Savior, the Son of God who stepped out of heaven and out of his eternal kingdom to bring us into it. Lord, I didn't deserve it then, and I don't deserve it now. And nothing I do or say will ever make me deserve it. But you give us Jesus anyway, and he gives himself willingly. Lord, capture my heart with that love. And help me to, because of that love, grow to know you and reflect you more. In Jesus' name, amen.